Hi, I'm Julie. And I'm Lisa. And together we are Two, Two Sober, Sober Chicks. Chicks. Welcome to step 12. If you have hung in there from step one, you have made it to the end, my friends. We have a prize for you. More podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and the completion of 12 steps. Yes. Congratulations. That's your prize. Continued sobriety, I hope, is your prize. Mm-hmm. I hope that's what you've gotten Me too. from this. Um, I hope that you found uh, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you were struggling in any of these areas, my wish, my hope was that maybe by hearing Julie and I talk about it, um, it lit a fire under you and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, why am I waiting? Why am I holding on to step four? Why am I so afraid? Just fucking do it. Yes. You'll and, have nothing to lose, honestly. And then this nothing step... To lose. And all the steps that we've talked about, um, basically the biggest message is how to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes. The step 12 is a, I was going to say conglomeration. It is of all the steps that came before it. So step 12, the last of the 12 steps, the last of the maintenance steps, because one to three is discernment steps, four to nine is action steps, 10 to 12 is maintenance steps, reads as follows. Having had a spiritual awakening, which we'll talk about, as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. A simplified translation is continue to practice what I've learned from these steps and try to help other addicts by sharing what I've learned. And the spiritual principle, which is my favorite spiritual principle, is service. And this is the whole reason why we do this podcast. Service. That's right. Which is one of our legacies, which is the triangle of AA, which is? Unity, service, recovery. Absolutely. So what I, so first of all, this step 12 is broken into like two parts. One is, well, actually three parts. There's the spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. There is carrying the message. And then there's practicing the principles. Right. So spiritual awakening. Did you? Oh, I think I thought you just had it up. Spiritual awakening. You can find it's appendix two on page 567 of um, the big book. It says having had a spiritual awakening, not having had gotten sober. And I think that's important. So the spiritual awakening is having had spiritual experiences and then living them. Mm -hmm. You can have a spiritual experience and not have a spiritual awakening. The spiritual experience or the aha moment or coming to clarity is one thing. Mm -hmm. Living it is a very different thing. And so we aim to have a spiritual experience. And as a result of that experience, we are awakened and live our lives differently. And I think the reason that they put this appendix in the book is because when you hear about Bill's story, when mm-hmm. Bill talks about his experience, he talks about that um, that sort of white light. Like he felt that he mm-hmm. saw the angels or God. You know, he had that sort of um, sort of a religious type experience, one that would be described. Yes. Right? And then a lot of us come in and we read that and go, oh, I've never had that. Or that's not going to happen to me. Don't give up. Yes. Here's where the hope is. The hope is here for you as well. A spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening for me is all about change. It's all about changing That's the difference between the spiritual experience and the spiritual awakening is the change. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's, that was my experience. Yeah. Um, 
And I did start to notice too things that when I started to pray, um, not for myself, not for my own selfish designs, but just pray for God's help, pray for the willingness. Um, I prayed a lot to um, help me be mindful of seeing things that, uh, that I would normally deem as coincidences. Mm. Help me to see your grace. Oh, uh, and, I love that. And the things that I may not otherwise be aware of. And I started to notice things like um, my biggest story is the one about how I was facing bankruptcy. And in the hour just before I was like about to go to the bank, um, this guy called me and I'd been praying. I'd been really, really afraid. And so I was dealing with a lot of fear. And so I would leave the room. My dad was visiting me. I'd leave the room and I'd go and I'd drop down on my knees on my little meditation pillow and I'd clasp my hands together, which I'd never done before. And I would be like, please, please God, dear God, please help me. Please help me not break down in front of my dad. Please help take this fear from me. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I know that um, you'll take care of me. I trust that you'll take care of me. And uh, this guy called me and he offered me money for my business. And I said, I might as well just choose bankruptcy. This is ridiculous. And he hung up and he called me back about five minutes later. And I'd just gotten up off of my prayer pillow. And he said, how much do you owe and I told him to the penny, and he said, I'll pay you that. Amazing. And it immediately wiped out that option of bankruptcy. I had nothing. <laughs> I still had to move. Um, I couldn't stay in that apartment any longer, and I had to find a much cheaper place, which was a whole other set of problems. But the immediate problem that I had been facing with had, had been dealt with. And I hadn't done anything except ask for help. And to me, that was a, that was a spiritual experience. experience. And then your awakening sprung from that. It did. So what and it, there isn't just one. No, there was many. Mm -hmm. And so over a course of that year, it, it showed me that if I continue to do these steps, you know, these things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. Things, you know, and it's not always what I want. That was another understanding is it doesn't yeah. mean that I'm going to get what I want. Um, because there was lots of things I lost too. That was one instance where something was taken care of for me, but I didn't get the dream job. I didn't get to keep things that I had thought I was going to be able to keep. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was one of my spiritual experiences. I love that. And the awakening for me was I was awakened to a faith. Yes. That I had never had before. You had a change. Yes. And some of us will have exper uh, spiritual experiences and it'll take one or two or more for us to actually be awakened and change how we think, feel, and behave around stuff. So, I mean, step 12 is pretty cool. There's so many different parts to it. That's why I love stuff like this or retreats where you jump into the steps because mm -hmm. you go from maybe talking about one step or just reading the step over a billion times. But when you dive into pulling it apart, all of a sudden there's so many more things in it. So you talked about three parts. You talked about spiritual experience, spiritual awakening, and what was the third part? It was the spiritual awakening. Then it was um, the carrying the message and then practicing these principles in all our affairs. So um, what I love about carrying the message is AA dies without step 12. If we don't carry the message, if there's not newcomers in, if people aren't finding out the solution to their addiction, there's there's nothing. Going, carrying the message is the service that we do. So, and service can be as simple as Brian R. Brian R., 50 years sober, December 1st, 
We celebrated Bless him his heart. at our meeting the other night. So good. He got his 50-year medallion. That's insane. Brian is at that meeting every Wednesday. He's carrying the message. Every Monday. Because as a person who's sober that goes to meeting, you're yeah. carrying meetings, you're carrying the message that this works. Look at me. Mm-hmm. I've been here for 50 years. So even if you don't want to go to a meeting and you go to a meeting, you're carrying the message. Yeah. Doesn't have to necessarily be out into the world. We got to carry the message to each other all the time. And here's one of the things that I got from his talk last night when he got his medallion. Uh, he had cancer this last year. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, at 50 years sober, this was the worst and most difficult year of my life. Mm-hmm. But he was sober. And then he talked about no longer being alone. And he, he was so funny. He's like, at first I thought it was a threat. <laughs> I know. It does. It's like a creepy horror movie. Like, you are no longer alone. You're like, no. Who's looking at me? Who's around the corner? They're in the basement. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's so he's such a witty guy. And he, he's got so many talents. It's amazing how, too, if we step out of outside of ourselves mm-hmm. and we just open up and we talk to somebody else. We find these wonderful gems of human beings. Um, Brian is a very special, wonderful man. I really uh, have enjoyed his friendship over the years of mm-hmm. being at St. Clement's. Um, and he's got a lot of gifts and he's got a lot of uh, experience to offer too. And I love that he was talking about you're no longer alone in his most difficult um, year of life because he said, I started to make a list of all the things, uh, not that he was not grateful for, but all the things that were going wrong because mm-hmm. he was in the hospital bed, right? And he said, I only got to number two on my list of how horrible things were and nobody was coming to see me when there was a knock on my door mm. and it was somebody from AA. And uh, and then he talked about how the people in the program. But see, that wouldn't have happened if Brian was staying at home because after 15 years of sobriety, he said, I got this. Yeah, I don't point. need you people anymore. Mm-hmm. He kept coming. He kept giving back. And I am so glad that people stepped up and uh, gave back to him mm-hmm. and went and helped him out and drove him around and, and uh, helped him with his hospital appointments. That's because of all that he has given in this program. You know, yeah. you want to measure somebody, measure them by how the friends that they have. We have a pretty cool secret society, this AA business. Like everyone I know in our group who has gone through, we have a group member who's gone through cancer like three times. Mm. One of our group members that died, she had like hip surgery and all these other things going on. And we had people delivering meals and giving her rides and um, offering her financial support. Like I could off the top of my head list eight or 10 different people in our group that have gone through hard times and we have rallied and taken home meetings to them. or checked in on them or gone. I mean, we even have like people that go to the races. We have bowling parties. Like mm-hmm. we're really fortunate that we belong to a really good group, but even the smallest groups that I know of do the exact same thing. Yeah. So it's just contributing to your own little tribe in terms of service and then looking beyond the borders, like going and doing jail meetings, um, volunteering at conferences, answering the phones at the headquarters. Like it's unlimited what we can do in terms of service for each other, going to rehabs, hospitals. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I'm starting to do meetings at the jail now. Thanks to you. I found out about that through you. Jail work is my favorite. Sarah's Sarah's waiting for her her check. Yeah. She's got her, uh, 
or background check-ins. You can also, through AA and there, you can see it on their website, um, write to inmates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's like, it's whatever you want to do, you can do it within the program. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's funny. You want to hear a little um, around the world uh, 12th step story? Yes. My first sponsor, his name was Roy S. And um, I loved him very much. And he was dying. And I flew back from Toronto. I flew to Moncton um, to sit with him at his bedside. And um, (laughs) I was so new (laughs) in recovery and so broken. And I hadn't, you know, I wasn't even open enough to hear the things that he had to say. So I didn't get a lot of his wisdom. Mm -hmm. I just got a lot of his kindness and his patience and his love. And he kept saying things like, let go and let God, Lisa, let go. And all you have to do is let go and let God. And I remember being pissed off because here he is dying. And how dare those AA people, they kept interrupting us. Here I am, self-centered to the core. Oh my gosh, I love it. I've flown back. I'm visiting Roy and all of these rude AA people I didn't even, it didn't even like dawn on me how beautiful that was that we kept getting interrupted because all these AA people found out that Roy was in the hospital and they were all coming to visit him Mm -hmm. and it was beautiful, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see it as beautiful in that moment. I saw it as an interruption, but now I can look back and, and think and be thankful that he had that because he had touched so many lives and he was a guy who was an ex-convict himself. And so this guy who was once deemed as the lowest of the low in society was obviously held in high regard by many people Mm -hmm. because he had so many visitors. That's also what I love about when someone in our program passes away and I go to their funeral and I look around, like half the room are AAers. Mm. Even if it's kept secret and the family doesn't want it talked about, it's like you look over and you're like, this is pretty amazing that we're all here for this person. Yep. And keeping it, yeah, keeping it quiet. Service is important. It is so important, and it doesn't end. Um, I mean, there's lots of like we've talked about big things that you can do in service, um, like going and going to jails and doing. Two thirty four Eglinton is our headquarters um, for AA here in Toronto, and it is amazing and it's so powerful. And it's we a great need, hub. Yeah, we need people to go and answer the phones. It only takes about two hours to go and do the volunteer session to learn how to be trained. And then you can, if you have the time, go in and volunteer. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but for me, one of the biggest things is just don't stop going. You have 30 years sobriety. We need you. Yeah, we do. Just as much as the person who's got one day. Because it shows people that it works. Mm-hmm. And you can stay joyous and sober and free yeah. <laughs> and live a wonderful life. Yeah. And it also shows people, like you know, Brian talked about, when you have a difficult year, you're still sober. He yeah. didn't drink. He didn't need to drink to cope. And uh, how many times have we heard somebody step up to the podium and talk about great loss, mm-hmm. unbelievable loss? And they still come. And they still come. And they still come to talk. I know. Yeah, like those I, are my favorite talks. When someone's like, "I'm, I don't know what's gonna come out. I've been in a really rough place lately," and then yeah. it's like this amazing, inspired talk. Yeah, it's all service. I for the retreat this couple of weeks ago. These, I, I always pick a theme. So I do name tags for all the ladies and I put stickers on them. And it, the theme was She Brings New Hope. And it came from our big book, only it says He. And it's in um, A Vision for You mm-hmm. or Working with Others. I can't remember. But it's about this the alcoholic that has received recovery 
because they've worked for it. Going into circles, whether they're in circles of addicts or not, brings new hope because this person is proof positive that a li- you can live a life of recovery. Yeah. You can be of service to others. And the cool thing about service is you always, no matter how good you're, how much good you're doing for other people, you feel like you're on top of the world. As an alcoholic, I'm me focused constantly. It's about I, I, I. But when I serve someone else, it becomes about that other person. Mm -hmm. And that does something for our spirituality and our soul that nothing else does. Yeah. Nothing else. And we're a funny breed, us alcoholics. Um, Somebody was just talking the other day about how they'd heard about this new scientific study where this doctor had subjected himself to some brain surgery and they'd stuck electrodes on his brain and they'd probed different parts of his brain and they'd cured his alcoholism by doing something to probing his brain. And I thought, and this person was talking sort of excitedly about this scientific study about how now they can cure alcoholism with basically brain surgery, I guess. Okay. And I thought, isn't that interesting? We're excited and we're talking about brain surgery being an option for the alcoholic, but we balk at a little bit of work Mm. (laughs) and introspection. Or not drinking. Yeah. Or not having to pick up a drink. Yeah. So we're, we're a funny breed. We're doing a little bit of 12-step work. Yes. Setting up chairs, God forbid. Who do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> what? Emptying the butts or the or the garbage? I balked at that one. Yeah. So the last part of step 12 is practicing these principles in all our affairs, which is very difficult because it's easy to love the lovely or to be nice to the nice people. Mm-hmm. But practicing these principles in all our affairs means all the things that aggravate us, irritate us, that we hate, that we don't like, that we want to do. Yeah. We have to practice all of the principles, meaning honesty, hope, faith, courage, integrity, willingness, humility, love, discipline, perseverance, living spiritually in service. To everything. Yeah. Hopefully all of the time. But as we said before, we are, uh, it's about spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. Mm -hmm. But that is what I love about our program. It's not just about us and we and the good stuff. Like Mm -hmm. do it no matter what. To the employee or the coworker that you hate, the person you don't want to pray for, the situation you don't want to be in, practice all of these things as much as you can. I have a a situation at... um work where someone has um, broken a human rights code uh, with me Mm -hmm. in violation with myself. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've brought it to the attention of higher ups with the understanding that I do not want this to go further. I just want this person to be educated. And my my catchphrase was, um, I believe in education, not execution. So you don't want this person to be punished. Right. Now, flip that around, because it would have been the reverse mm-hmm. 12, 15 years ago. Yeah. I would have wanted them to be punished. <laughs> yeah. You would have wanted... Um, Retribution. That's it. Revenge. Yeah. I Vengeance is mine. I would have been focusing on that. Now, I'm not perfect. I did. I do have those thoughts, and that's what I bring to my sponsor. Mm-hmm. Would I like this person to get punished? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. But when I'm practicing the principles in all of my affairs then I have to focus on what's the next right thing. Mm-hmm. Is the next right, is punishment even mine to give out? No. No, it's not. No. Um, but teaching someone how to treat me, that's my responsibility. Yeah. Saying, hey, this is this is not acceptable behavior for the workplace. Yeah. And I'm not going to accept that kind of treatment. Yeah. Is my responsibility. So that's me 
working a 12 step, working the 12 steps in my daily affairs. Yeah. Which is not always easy. Yeah. Um, Julie and I were just talking beforehand before we hit the mic uh, about a situation with my wife and I, how we had an incident the other day. I can talk about this because she doesn't even listen to our podcast. (laughs) Uh, That's a no bone of contention there for me either. I asked her the other day, do you ever listen to? She's like, no, I'm not really interested. (laughs) Okay. Right on. Excellent. Well, there's free reign deflating my ego. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we had a, we had an argument and, um, and I said to Julia, you know, like I want to lose my shit. I have rage. I have anger inside of me. And when someone is yelling at me, of course I want to turn around and yell right back. I said, but there's also the chance that I might feel like I want to throw her off the balcony. So I can't give in to that Mm -hmm. feeling of rage, whether it's justified anger or not. Um, So I have to practice the 12 steps. That's actually a real, a very biblical principle. Like vengeance is not ours to dole out. Neither is justice. That's Mm -hmm. not our job. Yeah. Our job, we can discern or judge what's best for us. Mm-hmm. but we don't dole out the punishment. So that's what I did in that circumstance. Exactly. It was like, you know what? Um, I don't uh, agree with the way you're talking to me. I don't agree with the way you're behaving, but I can't control it. Mm-hmm. But I can control what I'm going to put up with, and I'm not going to put up with this. And if you're going to follow me around our 650 square feet of living space, screaming at me, demanding that I will I, exit the premises, <laughs> then I will leave demanding that I pay attention to you. I will leave. And so yeah. that's what I did. And upon entering my car, I called my sponsor. I couldn't get a hold of him, called my best friend, couldn't get a hold of her. She's also in the program. I thought, okay, those are my two go-to spiritual people. And now I'm just going to wait till I get to the meeting. I went to the meeting early. I sat in the parking lot. I meditated. I prayed. I asked God for help. Um, I checked my thinking. I did a step 10, like, you know, where was I at fault here? Um, and then I went into the meeting and I enjoyed the meeting and later she came and made an apology and I've offered forgiveness and, and here we are today. You've practiced your principles in all your affairs. And she's still breathing. Mm, So very good. That's actually (laughs) a really good way to choose a sponsor. You want a sponsor that practices these principles in all our affairs. Mm. I had a sponsor that would tell all her other sponsees what other sponsees had told her. That was like a a powerhouse in the rooms, but outside of the rooms was rude and obsessive and threatening and mean and judgmental and a hypocrite. And it was like, I think it's time to get a new sponsor. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I take um, things from my own life and share it with my sponsees um, to as an example of, because when they're dealing with something in their life, you know, I can say, I've been there. I understand mm-hmm. that. Um, but here's the thing. If I just sit here and tell you, oh yeah, that person's an asshole, then we're just gossiping. Yeah. And I'm, how am I helping you? I'm not yeah. serving you. I'm just listening to you justify your anger. Yeah, it's not mad. a bitch session. No. So I have to um, show you, living by example, how I deal with situations like that. Mm-hmm. And then, then the choice is yours. Do you want to live in justified anger? Or do you want to learn how to let go of something? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to learn how to set boundaries? Now the next thing is dealing with people who don't listen to your boundaries. <laughs> you keep setting That's them. That's a whole other podcast. Yes. <laughs> 
So right. any other closing thoughts at the end of step 12 steps? Mm. Repeat. <laughs> rinse, repeat. Yes. What is it? Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah, like life and recovery is not linear. And even though we do do the steps in a row, 1 to 12, we're constantly revisiting, living them. Like once you've done 1 to 12, some days it'll be a 6 and 7 day. Every day is a 1, 2, 3 day. Yeah. But we'll revisit. And sometimes we do great and sometimes we don't. It's just yeah. the nature of things. It's kind of a, a bowl of spaghetti. But just hang in there. Yeah. It don't shortcut it because shortcuts leave you shortchanged. Put everything you got into it and keep moving forward. Yeah. And it does, I think it just continually gets better. And if life doesn't continue to get better, you learn how to handle life better. We definitely become more resilient. Yeah. For sure. And stronger and wiser. Just keep, keep at it. And just because you're sober doesn't mean you're in recovery. Like keep working your program, work your program, work your program. Going to meetings is not working your program. Working the steps is working your program. Right. So do what you need to do to support your recovery. Like go gangbusters at the beginning. You can't overdo it. And then you'll find your rhythm somewhere in the middle. If you have any questions about the steps or you feel like maybe we missed something and you want us to talk about it, please drop us an email at the number two soberchicks at gmail.com. Um, we would be happy to hear from you as always. Julie's a lot faster at responding than I am, so you'll probably hear from her. Uh, and we also have an Instagram page. I'm getting off Facebook, by the way, so I think our Facebook page is going to be kaput soon. Okay. So join us on Instagram at Two Sober Chicks. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you in any way. All right. All right. Thanks for hanging in there. We had so much fun doing these steps with you. It was fantastic. Now, on to some holiday stuff. Because it is the month of December, it was snowing earlier, and we are going to do a podcast of being, I was going to say being drunk over the holidays. (laughs) That's not what you want to do. No. About being in recovery and being sober through the holidays. Right. How do you do that if all you've ever known is being drunk or you're in an environment where everyone's going to be drunk? That's what we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about what a curmudgeon my sponsor is, because I have a story to tell about his response to that. How do you stay sober over the holidays? Okay, good. That's coming up next. stay tuned. Two sober chicks.